Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Thank you for tuning in to Growth Island again. Today, we're going to talk about a software that I got into around a year and a half ago, and that is on the headlines of so many of these uh, magazines and so on. It's fasting. So what is fasting and how do you do it? It sounds pretty simple, right? But we're going to get into that. So for that, I got an expert in. I got Andre Hetzo, if I'm pronouncing it right, who is uh, the author of Mastering Fasting a book that I have been reading the last two weeks and is absolutely fantastic. It really goes into the details and some of the science behind it and many of the questions that I've had with many of my friends about like, when do you break a fast? How do you break it? What are you allowed to do? And so, so I'm really excited to get Andre in to, uh, to tell about the book and tell about how do you actually do fasting in the best way? So Andre, welcome so much to the podcast. Hello, Mats. Uh, thank you for having me. So how did how do you get into all of this uh, fasting and uh, and suddenly taking up the time you spent two years on on writing this book going into the research? Well, to go way back, not way back, but let's say like six years ago, I got diagnosed with a debilitating autoimmune disease and uh, uh, multiple sclerosis, to be more exact. And uh, instead of going the conventional treatment way, little rebel inside me <laughs> refused to accept it. I, I guess we could say it was denial, me just denying that I have this illness, just like doing everything, my, my body like fighting to like accept it. And I decided to uh, uh, say no to conventional treatment and start researching everything on my own and taking charge of my own health and well-being. It has been a long journey. Thankfully, it worked out for me. I guess I'm lucky because uh, right now everything's good. Everything's fine. And uh, you're quite fit. Uh, <laughs> you don't look like someone that like not possible of doing that much. I, I met you here in, uh, in the Dominican Republic as well. <laughs> yeah, been working hard on it. So, so uh, muscle mass definitely is important. <laughs> but yeah, so... There have been a lot of things I've been doing along the way to fix my own health, boost my own health. That's how I got into this whole biohacking scene. And fasting has definitely played a huge role in it, intermittent fasting and doing longer fasts. It's definitely not the only thing. It's not this one magic bullet that cured me, but it has definitely helped me a lot along the way. So I started, since I had researched that project so much, I decided I'm going to write an Instagram post about it, like do a short post that turned into a blog post, which turned into an article, which was supposed to be a webinar. And here I am two years later, having released a book on this. <laughs> so it was. That's fantastic. Congratulations on getting the book out as well. That's. Thank you. <laughs> so for the ones that don't know what fasting is, fasting is basically that you don't eat. It's quite yes. simple, but uh, it's simple uh, at the starting point. But why is fasting so important? And then let's dive more into like the different ways of fasting and when are you actually fasting or not? Uh, sure. Yeah, let's jump in. Uh, fasting, as you said, is simply choosing not to eat. That's all that is. You don't have to change what you eat. It's not a diet. It doesn't dictate what you should eat. It's just a rhythm of food consumption. So 
when um, you when you decide that you're going to start fasting, you just stop eating. You can have coffee, tea, water, and um, let's say eight to twelve hours into not eating, your body, your metabolism starts to switch from non-fasted state into the fasted state to the post-absorptive state. That is when you have done the switch. When people talk about fasting nowadays, the fasting that they usually have in mind is the intermittent fasting, like the 16-8 method. But that's just an arbitrary number that we think we, we see the most benefit and with the least, uh, least risk. And a quick and note on 16-8 basically just mm -hmm. means that you eat for eight hours and then you don't eat for 16 hours. And for some of those that never like to eat breakfast, This is kind of like the new cool way of if you don't eat breakfast, now you're not just skipping breakfast, which I was told was the most important meal of the day when I was a kid. That was one of the things in Denmark. Now you are a pretty cool biohacker that are doing intermittent <laughs> fasting and getting a bunch of health benefits. I love that part. <laughs> yes, that, 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 it is often used as just another excuse not to eat breakfast. But um, so, yeah. Uh, the 16 8 method, which is let, let's say you decide that you're gonna all you're gonna do is eat from 12 o'clock till uh, 8 p.m. That's your eating window, and after 8 p.m. till 12 in the morning, you're gonna eat nothing. So, anything less than 24 hours, such as is the 16 8 method or the 24 method, which is 20 hours fasting window, four hours eating window, or the 23 1, or like which is kind of like one meal a day, all of these aren't actually. You can call them intermittent fasting, which is an umbrella term, but they're actually referred to as time-restricted eating because fasting and fasting intermittently implies that you're doing it longer than 24 hours usually. And fasting itself is uh, like a, when you say fasting in a traditional sense, it means it's a prolonged fast that you're going to fast for two, three, four, five days. So you're Sometimes saying there's a lot of longer. fake fasters out there, the ones doing the 16 hours, they're just time-restricted eaters? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far as to say that, but essentially it's just like the terms and jargon is a bit mixed up. Yeah, so it's it's just to just to avoid confusion further in the conversation, it mm. is like time-restricted eating is anything less than 24 hours and yeah. intermittent fasting is longer than 24 hours. Okay, got it. So that's a bit about fasting. Why is it that it is so freaking amazing? And like, what are some of the benefits uh, of this? And why are like so many researchers starting to look into it? And all of the health experts are like, basically many of them are fasting, right? Uh, yeah. So fasting has to do with a lot of, a lot of the uh, benefits of fasting has to do with uh, metabolic flexibility, which means that when you're an infant and you're feeding on your mother's breast milk, The second you stop eating breast milk, uh, feeding on breast milk, you're thrown into the world of like heavy carb diets. Like everything we have is high carb and we're constantly eating and we're used to constantly eating because the fridge is just like two, three steps away. So you're never not fasting. You never switch your metabolic states because the human body can function both on carbs, carbohydrates, And we can also function on fats, uh, which is like to fasting fuel is the ketone bodies. Uh, when you go into a fasted state, your metabolic state switches. So you go from a carb fed state, into like working from carbs to working on fats. Both are equally important. 
when you do a ketogenic diet, when you follow a ketogenic diet, the what you're doing is essentially you're forcing your body into adapting to feeding off the fats. But then uh, people like people tend to go to extremes and people are only on the ketogenic diet, for example, that start doing the ketogenic diet and think that's like the only right answer how to live by. But both these states are natural and both are equally important. Just as uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone to be on a completely 100% ketogenic diet, 365 days of the year, I wouldn't recommend anyone to be on mostly like only working from on carbs. <laughs> so mm. only working from sugars. So training your metabolic flexibility, getting like getting your body metabolically flexible, uh, meaning being giving the body the um, the powers to uh, know how to switch between these states effectively is what gives you a lot of the benefits of fasting. And the fasted state itself has a lot of different benefits as well. Being in a fasted state produces more mitochondria and increases fat burning. Uh, it increases mitochondria? Insulin. Someone yes. is like, say, my what? <laughs> mitochondria are, uh, they're, often <laughs> they're often referred to as being the powerhouse of the cell. This, it, it's, these are the little organelles that power your cells and produce cellular energy called ATP. So mitochondria are basically a whole different organism inside you that <laughs> power you. They're very small, so, but extremely important. Yes. So fasting helps you produce more mitochondria, giving you more energy, and it helps increase fat burning. Fasting also helps increase insulin sensitivity, which is good overall. It keeps your blood sugar stable. And it's especially good for people with, uh, for example, insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes. Um, it Fasting... Uh, uh, helps you uh, helps reduce inflammation and uh, oxidative stress in the body uh, which are both really important from a longevity point of view because uh, uh, inflammation itself is a key factor in uh, many if not most uh, lifestyle related diseases or in general diseases and oxidative stress is one of the main theories we have right now for aging in general another one of my favorite benefits, uh, but often misunderstood, is autophagy. Mm -hmm. Autophagy is always happening in some form or the other in your body. What autophagy is, it is the often described again as kind of like spring cleaning for your body. It's your own body's natural mechanism that helps remove, let's say, old or damaged cells in your body. But autophagy is often mixed up with apoptosis. Apoptosis is programmed cell death. The body destroys the cells. Autophagy instead is it catabolizes these old and weak cells and converts them into amino acids and use them, uses them for energy. And what it also does, the process of autophagy also boosts the protective properties of healthy cells. So it's, it's a win-win situation in every way, and it's, it's a really good mechanism. But what also boosts autophagy, uh, aside from fasting, for example, is exercise. But as good as this uh, process, this natural process can be, there can be too much autophagy as well. You can overdo it. 
you don't want to always be fasting 24 seven or like doing everything and eating autophagy boosting supplements. <laughs> so it, it's, it's everything in moderation. So how do you find that? Like, where do you find the boundary of like, Hey, now we're doing like the awesome autophagy. We're getting the best version of ourselves. I'm like, Oh fuck. Now, now you're like off the rails. <laughs> A lot of it comes down to gut feeling uh, because it's really personal. So when you're older, for example, you're in your 50s, 60s, fasting can be an amazing tool for you. But it also, one of the most important factors for healthy aging is muscle mass. So if you're now in an autophagy, uh, like if you're in a fasted state too much, uh, you might have trouble maintaining muscle and like autophagy affects these processes as well. It's like inversely correlated with mTOR. So when mTOR is basically a signaling, signaling molecule that promotes growth in the body, it's a growth factor. So, and it has an inverse correlation with autophagy. When autophagy is activated, mTOR is deactivated and vice versa. So when you are constantly optimizing your uh, lifestyle to boost autophagy, then you are missing out on the benefits of mTOR and the muscle building benefits of mTOR. There's MTOR a lot is, of other... mTOR also has several, at least I'm, I'm starting on the Dave Sinclair mm. lifespan book about longevity, where he speaks about mTOR, NAD as some of the main things for longevity. So this is something mm -hmm. that, that we also want room for. Yes. So it's, it's, again, you can do too much mTOR. It can boost like uh, undesirable growth in the body. But as I said, everything in moderation, it comes down to personal like gut feeling. So when you're younger, you can get away with way more autophagy, but when you're older, you might want to benefit adequate protein intake, for example. Yeah. So someone sitting listening be like, all right, what the hell do I do that? Uh, like what's kind of like should be in the safe, like this is the safe space. And this space out on the side is like the, a bit more unsafe. So like fasting, intermediate fasting, or like the 16 hours um, a day, doing that like four times a week, that should be uh, in the safe space at least. Uh, sure, yeah. It's what's considered safe in the literature right now is 12 to 16 hours daily for men and 10 to 14 hours daily for women. This is because uh, it's different, firstly, because men and women have different biologies, but these ranges should be, as is described right now for most people, be the ranges that you can do every day, basically for the rest of your life, because these fasts aren't that long and they have very little downside and very little risk of uh, developing some kind of hormonal disbalance or uh, like other harmful effects. Hmm associated with met metabolism or other things. So 12 to 16 hours for men, 10 to 14 hours for women. You don't have to do it every day. Uh, I was talking about extremes earlier. I myself ate one, one meal a day for a year straight. So, uh, and I've done lot extended fasts, uh, a lot of seven day fasts, eight day fasts. I've done dry fasts. I, I've done it, like experimented everything on myself. Uh, mostly so you won't have to <laughs> yeah but i working back from the extremes now i understand that fasting is a healthy tool but it's still a stressor it's it's a healthy stressor 
So the saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is basically the biological equivalent of this is hormetic stress. So hormesis. Mm. Fasting is a hormetic stressor, as is uh, exercise, as is sauna, as is swimming in the cold, like heat or cold. Uh, these are stress. These are stressors that you stress that you put on your body. Then, when the body uh, recovers from them, it adapts and becomes stronger. So, but there's still stressors, and mm-hmm. you can still have too much stress. Because nowadays we have way more stress than we used to. I remember from somewhere that there's a theory that our central nervous system has should be in a parasympathetic state like 60% of the time, uh, the rest and digest mode. But what happens instead is that we're in a sympathetic state 80% of the time nowadays. So most people have trouble winding down and resting. And if you're working like crazy or a type A uh, go-getter, hard hitter, you do crazy CrossFit workouts and then you fast for 23 hours a day and do like a weekly fast every other month, that's too much. And you're going to end up burning out your adrenals. You're going to end up uh, burning out your neurotransmitters. You're just going to end up hurting yourself and having a burnout. So it's it's best to adapt these things to your lifestyle. So if mm. you're most of your other life is stressful, then go easy on the fasting. That makes sense. You touched on the, on the thing for women, which I, I really liked in your book, because we have all these advocates for fasting, people that are experts and have good like degrees and everything else. But more and more, uh, people also starting to be vocal about like, hey, men and women are not like, women are not men without penises. <laughs> or like, so like we we need to be careful of like the advice that we're giving and that women shouldn't fast as long yeah, your book also has something about the scientific literature in regards to how we didn't include women as much uh, in the u.s was it on the 1973 i think you wrote till 1993 or something like that where they were not included as many medical studies yes it's it's a long complicated history uh it has it 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 started with a with the uh with a drug Test tragedy, if I'm not mistaken, where the FDA banned from women who have the potential to become pregnant in participating in clinical trials. And, um, but it was a strange law and it banned a lot of other variants as well, such as uh, women who use contraceptives and homosexual women and all these other things. So it essentially, banned most of the women from participating in clinical trials. And well, the law was finally changed later on, uh, but it, it the pro-male tendency has still lingered in clinical research. It It's not anything malicious. It's just that it's cheaper and easier to uh, run clinical trials on men, on male subjects. And that's both on human and animal models. And this is because men's hormones uh, fluctuate uh, on a 24-hour basis instead of the 26 to 32 day cycle as to women, the infradian rhythm that they follow. Men follow the circadian rhythm with their hormones. Women follow something called the infradian rhythm. So it's just, and so it's because uh, researchers like clean data sets and the fluctuation of female hormones affects a lot of the variables, it's just simpler and easier to run trials on men. 
But this isn't a justification because we're cutting away half of the population and just putting the results through a bottleneck and saying this applies to all. Mm. So there's a strange history, there's a strange bias there. But fortunately, it's it's being acknowledged and people are working on it. And I, I, I hope it it, it, it it continues to get better. So as a result, we don't have much information on uh, how fasting affects females specifically. Uh, to be fair, we don't have much information how any drugs or treatments affect females specifically. But um, in regards to fasting, a lot of the work has been done by Mark Sisson. Uh, whose uh, whose research I I follow closely, whose writings I follow closely when putting together this this chapter, as well as other female health experts, and uh, women should definitely approach fasting differently, and it it's very personal for them. Uh, what might work for one uh, individual might be completely different for other people. So some women do really well on fasting; they get all the benefits that men do but some might completely wreck their hormones, their body composition, their mood with any kind of fasting, anything longer than like 10 hours daily. So and this is extra it, important for women when testing out fasting. It's actually really yes. feeling their body. Yes, because women are really sensitive to caloric intake. It's mostly because women are 3D printers for new humans. <laughs> So it's a biological role their bodies their bodies fulfill, and um, because of this, they have to be careful. And mm. uh, because of this, it's it's different. A lot of the uh, hormonal imbalances caused by fasting, too much fasting, uh, fortunately, are easily reversible. But when it comes to like the the progesterone or kisspeptin hormones, but you should still be careful because they're not desirable. No, <laughs> these damages. So, kind of like the the short version is that w- fasting for women is also good. Like the sh- whether you call it time restricted eating, like the ten to fourteen hours that you're saying, and then as you're writing your book, it's for most people it's good to do a longer fast every third to six months, like between. Uh, I remember you writing between one to five days, and then for women it's even more important to kind of really feel how the body's doing. Yes. Uh, Fasting, like what I recommend is you can do uh, as a woman, you can do 10 to 14 hours um, intermittent fasting daily for as many uh, days out of the week as you want, as you feel good doing. And you can throw, uh, let's say, a three day fast in there once every quarter, or maybe a five day fast once every six months. So, and that's that's doable. And for most individuals, this should only have beneficial effects because you're giving your body rest. You're giving your body a chance to do something else besides just digesting food. You're giving your body time to heal. Yeah. So some of the other benefits of fasting, which is a reason for many people, is losing weight. Yes. Which is the simple thing of not eating as much, but it's not only that you not get the same amount of calories. There's also something about your metabolism that gets better, right? Yes. So uh, before I jump into that, there's a legend around <laughs> fasting. Well, it's a it, it's a legendary story, so to say. In the 1960s, there was a man named Angus Barbieri, who was 27 years old, and he weighed 207 kilos when he went on a fast. At first, it was supposed to be a short fast, but he felt good and he kept going. The only thing he had 
was like water and uh, minerals. And he fasted for 385 consecutive days. And during that time, he lost 125 kilos. So his starting weight was 207 kilos, and he fasted all the way down to 82 kilos. He lived a nice life. He died when he was 50. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know what it was from, but uh, reportedly it hasn't had to do anything with fasting. He had two sons, and he was healthy after his 385-day fast. <laughs> so uh, It's crazy that many days. Yes. Well, no, that's not your recommend recommendation for a while. No, definitely not. Definitely not. It, it was medically supervised. So it it's the longest medically supervised fast in the history of the world. People have replicated it and documented their own journeys on YouTube, but I do not recommend that. It's just it's just a story to illustrate the power of fasting. So weight loss is a huge industry. I think the weight loss industry right now is valued at between 300 and 400 billion. But it's like, if if the industry is growing every year, but so is obesity. And so is like everything else and people are getting fatter and fatter. Uh, something's not working. <laughs> so fasting is a natural way to burn fat. It, it's, it's probably the one of the most natural ways that we have. You're giving your body to stop burning those sugars you're constantly eating, and you're giving your body the chance to go into a post-absorptive state and start functioning right, like straight from the fats that you have stored for energy, because that's what fat is. You, you, the food energy you do not need right now, your body stores as fat for future when you need it. And we from an evolutionary point of view, we didn't always have access to food. So when we got food, we ate it, we stored it in our bodies till the next time we had food. And we had to go for long periods without food. And that was for tens of thousands of years. So the, we have those mechanisms in place and our biology hasn't changed that much. Um so we see that many people use it as a tool, both because they get less uh, calories in, but also because the body actually adjusts and become better at metabolizing. Well, basically, the body becomes better adapted uh, for using fat as a source of fuel. Yeah. So you're right on that. The side effect of fasting is, yes, definitely, you, you do get less calories in, but you don't have to. It's not a must. If you want to gain weight, you can actually even healthily gain weight on a fasting and you can healthily gain muscle on a fasting diet as well. Uh, so that, because... goes, that goes to my next question. I've always mm -hmm. been skinny and been trying to gain weight. I also don't eat a lot of, don't eat a lot of candy or stuff like that. I keep away from refined sugar and so on. I eat a lot of greens. I would like to gain more weight. And I've seen since I started doing the 16-hour fasting, I've lost more weight. So I have a hard time getting enough food in with just the two meals. But so how would, how would I do that best? Would I be even more conscious of my protein, calorie intake and so on to make sure in those few hours I get enough? Or, or what would you say there? There's a lot of ways, a lot, lot of directions you can come from for making that recommendation. If you're in it for solely a bodybuilding, body composition way, if you're interested solely in that, I would say don't fast because you want to get the food engine, you want to be eating but that's not beneficial for longevity overall. So 
fasting, a fasted state is an anti-catabolic state. That means your body does not burn muscle when you're fasting. It goes after the fats, as opposed to when you're not in a fasted state, your body often, when you go on diets, etc., often a lot of the weight you lose is from muscle, but with, uh, with when doing that with fasting, it's minimized. So fasting is, um, what was like 10 years ago in the fitness industry, uh, said to be impossible you can grow muscle and lose fat at the same time or it was a slow way but with fasting you can actually kind of like do this but the one thing you would have to do is you would just have to eat more mm. and uh, there, there are different biohacks for example uh, you can go on a five-day fast and right after a five-day fast when your mTOR and all your growth hormones are like uh, really high up there because what happens when you're fasting is your mTOR gets really ready for uh, growing muscle. Your testosterone boosts boost up, shoots up. Your uh, growth hormone might even like five, might even increase fivefold. So when you do a prolonged fast and you start the huge muscle building program right after mm-hmm. your long fast, then you have the potential to see really big muscle gains. But you have to eat enough to support all this. There's no no other trick to it. You just have to eat a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, I found protein powder, but you gotta be careful what you get. Is uh, is one way to get it down easier. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but that's a challenge. All right. So it's, even if you want to gain weight, it's just important that you you still need like the recommended amount of protein a day. Then, just in that shorter period of time. Yes, there are a lot of. Um different calculations on how to calculate optimal protein intake but what i personally use is i use a a good blend of essential amino acids for example i use both protein powders and essential amino acids but i find that i have the essential amino acids mix works better for me because it works well to replenish your neurotransmitters it acts acts as good nootropic it repairs your gut and it's just like really good overall so I prefer that. And you can actually have that when you want to build muscle a lot, but you want the fasting benefits. You can actually have essential amino acids when you're fasting as well. It's it's not going to, it's going to break your fast in a sense that it's going to stop autophagy, but it's not going to get you out uh, of the state when you're burning fat for fuel. So it's not going to break the fasted ketogenic state. It's not going to spike your blood sugar or insulin for most people at least it's not gonna so still uh, you are shutting down topics and you're promoting uh, mTOR and muscle building but without uh, losing the benefits of burning the fat so that's that's what i like to do as well in the morning so and before trainings makes got it so moving on to actually comes the next questions because it's open up what can you actually um, you're not allowed to eat but then people drink coffee, tea, they put like milk in, the supplements, there's lime, lemons, lion's mane, and so on. So that was a lot of the things that I would love to go into. But if we start with one at a time, tea. Uh, sure. Can uh, you drink tea or not? You can drink, drink tea, but make sure it's either green or black tea, not fruit teas, not berry teas, because they might uh, spike your insulin or blood sugar. And don't put any sugar or any milk or anything in them. No. Same with coffee. You can have your coffee black. Yeah. No bulletproof coffee. Um, depends. This this down comes down to a lot of nuance. Depends on your personal goals. 
why you're fasting. Because if you're going to go, uh, if you're in the morning, if you're fasting in the morning and you work out in the morning and you're going to go and you're, let's say, a woman and you're going to go to a hard workout in the gym, you might want to have bulletproof coffee if you're not having anything else before that. Because uh, you, there have been studies that show that women do well uh, with the fasting benefits when they have uh, some calories in their system before training. Uh, but for men, it's the opposite. It's men do better from a fat burning, st- fat burning and a muscle growth point of view when they don't eat before training, but they eat after training. So it's like one yeah. way or the other. And it's just like what, what your goals are. Bulletproof but if, coffee is, sorry, yeah. It breaks the fast, right? Just it to say like the f- from there, if someone has been like, am I breaking my fast and not getting autophagy and the other things? Mm-hmm. If you yes. get the, then it, it breaks, breaks the fast. The, exactly. It's, it's going to break the fast from that point of view, but similar to the, uh, to the aminos, you're still going to be uh, working mainly from fats. So you're going to get the fat burning benefits. So the big difference is that you don't get autophagy at the same time mm-hmm. we get the other mm-hmm. benefits of fasting is that correct yes yes okay it, it, there's 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 a lot of nuance for a lot of benefits but um i don't know enough to go to very detail like okay if you drink coffee this is going to work on your endocrine system this way and you're like uh this is going to ha- affect your heart this way i oh, i don't think there are there are any like studies on that even as well no but there there's so, there's but tea and coffee just to on the tea and coffee as long as there's nothing in it then it doesn't break the autophagy. Then yes. you're still in a faster state. Yes, but again, as long as you're not a purist. For example, Sachin Panda, who is the author of, um, I think it was, what was the book he wrote? My Circadian, My Circadian Go, My Circadian Rhythm. Uh, I can't remember exactly. But Sachin Panda, he's an author. He's done a lot of deep research into fasting. And he says that coffee stops autophagy. But a lot of other experts in the field say that it doesn't, that it actually enhances autophagy, like black coffee. So you never know which one is actually right because we actually we do not have a clear method to measure autophagic flux in humans directly. We cannot measure the levels of, autoph- of autophagy in humans directly, unfortunately, right now. Okay. So from a practical point of view, then it might be testing out or doing a mix of it. Yeah, sure. Or just like do whatever feels good for you. Yeah. Uh, just learn learn to feel and trust your body. Yeah. So that also goes to lion's mane, which is, uh, for the ones that doesn't know, is this mushroom powder that's supposed to not work fully as coffee, but supposed to be good for your brain and, and being sharp. Yes. Uh, because one of the things that fasting does, fasting has been... Uh, practiced in every culture and religions throughout recorded human history. And it was often in ancient Roman and ancient Greek times fast uh, used for cognition enhancing benefits. Yes. So one of the reasons like how we can explain that now is that fasting actually improves neuroplasticity and boosts uh, this thing called the BDNF, which is the brain derived neurotropic factor. And it affects your brain physically, but also mentally, it brings you into this kind of like a meditative state where it slows down your mind, slows down your brain activity. So you can focus on one task at hand. And uh, lion's mane also does this and they work similarly in a way, lion's mane, because lion's mane also enhances BDNF. And 
I have been in contact with uh, some mushroom powder developers, uh, Orivedo, for example, and I talked to them and they said that uh, their lion's mane supplements, which I think applies to uh, most lion's mane supplements, do not break a fast and because they, co- they don't contain as many calories and the capsules themselves uh, included as well. So that should be safe. Uh, so a lot of supplements and drugs, as long as they're not insulinogenic, insulinogenic, and as they meaning that they don't provoke a blood sugar spike, should be safe to consume while fasting. And I wouldn't dare to tell anyone that they should stop taking their prescription drugs when they're fasting. No, I think that's a, a fair thing. So what about lime and lemons in the water? So I'm a uh, big fan of my lime and lemon, and I read your book. <laughs> And as far as I understood it, I un, it's kind of breaking the fast because it has calories. But you wrote in the book as well that it probably has a lot of other good benefits with uh, minerals, electrons, and so on, so that it, it might be worth doing. Yes, because uh, when you're in a fasted state, when you're in a post-absorptive state, you're also super absorptive, which means anything you put in your body, your body is really going to take it and use it. So uh, lime and lemon have a lot of good benefits. A lot for a lot of different things. And if you're doing intermittent fasting daily, let's say 16 hours, but you're mostly fitness oriented, then have your apple cider vinegar, lime, lemon with some salt, uh, other electrolytes. I think that's only going to be good for you. And the small other fast related benefits you're going to miss out on, um, I think it's going to balance itself out. So if you're a fan of that and it feels good for you, just go for it. But then I guess that would also basically mean that uh, the autophagy stops once I do my lemon or lime water. Or is the calorie intake so low so it doesn't really affect that or, or we simply just don't have the answers from the science yet? It's difficult to say yes. I yeah. I do not know if we have the answers. Yeah. I think it's also important to say like with this with fasting, we have a lot of science coming out now and our longevity Um, event at Copenhagen University, one of the leading researchers, where he was like, there's few things we can say that really impacts longevity. Like the, one of the only things that we really know is fasting, but there's still so much research coming out and so many things we need to answer. So, yes. so it's going to be interesting in five to 10 years time when we have more of the research out. What what of the um, thoughts or hypotheses that we have now will will have changed at that point? It's it's longevity is a really interesting topic. Like what he said that we know that fasting affects longevity is because caloric restriction has been shown to affect longevity in every organism across the board. We cannot run these tests in humans because that's unethical to run clinical trials, but we have done them in a lot of other organisms. And across the board, caloric restriction really does extend your lifespan it might make it the life not worth living if you're constantly hungry yeah. <laughs> but it does affect you benefit it does benefit you yeah. and it's i remember hearing that like from the uh, telomere the theory of uh, telomere length for longevity the main researcher who ran those experiments and, and co- i think coined the term telomerase or like found the hormone that actually or the signal molecule that actually lengthens the telomeres mm-hmm. i think that was called the telomerase then started researching they they did years and years of clinical trials to start the developing drugs that can do this and target this and they just couldn't they just couldn't find anything to do it 
And the guy went on to do this research and what he found, what he's uh, talking about now across the globe everywhere is what actually helps you lengthen your telomeres is uh, traditional or shamanic song and dance. And that's the one thing that outperformed all clinical trials on all drugs and everything. They ran all like molecules, shamanic singing, <laughs> singing and dancing and traditional singing and dancing. That's fantastic. Well, yeah. some of the ancestral wisdom of something that tribes used to do is, is just good for us. I had uh, Lee, a breath worker from, uh, he's Australian, but he lives in, in Finland these days. And we did this exercise of like breathing and then doing the humming like um, on the way out. And it's like something that people have been doing for, for so many years, right? But they don't do any longer. And it's just that feeling in the chest. You could feel that was good. Yes, that's so, in so many cultures, in Sufis, in Ayurveda and other things. It's really fascinating. Yeah. So singing is good. We uh, we need to do more of that and some of the ancestral stuff. Time is running fast, Andre. So uh, some quick fire side uh, questions as sure. well. Keto flu. So the whole thing about feeling better um, and like testing out what fasting is best. Some people kind of got uh, feel a little bit like they have the flu after doing the 16 hours fasting after a few days. What's up with that? I haven't actually heard that people get uh, keto flu from fasting per se, but what happens is your body is just is not used to fasting. You're not used to not giving your body food and you get really hungry and you get groggy and everything else. So that's, that's one of the hurdles you just have to cross when you start fasting. It's going to be uncomfortable at first. It's going to be new. But just as our body adapts to, for example, moving from one time zone to the other, it's going to take a few days uh, for you to adapt to the new, new day-night cycle. The same way our bodies adapt to a new eating rhythm. And uh, it's it's natural. Perfect. How about who shouldn't be fasting? I think that's an important thing before we round off with this magical thing. And then also, like, how do you end the fast? Like, what's good to uh, to end the fast with? Sure. So, who shouldn't be fasting? Traditionally, in cultures that do fasting, that still do fasting, cultures and religions, uh, pregnant women are exempt from fasting. Pregnant and breastfeeding women. Because you need the nutrients, you need everything to uh, nurture and grow a healthy baby. People who have a tendency for eating disorders shouldn't do fasting as well because it might trigger these eating disorders. And also people who are really struggling to put the weight on, who are really underweight, they should probably stay away from fasting as well. That makes sense. And when you break your fast, does it matter what you start with? Should you start with like a, a big brownie, um, some uh, good candy, or what would be best to break the fast with? Does it matter? It's best to break the fast uh, with a small ketogenic meal. And well, to be completely honest, with intermittent fasting, since you are super absorptive in a super absorptive state, it matters, but then again, it doesn't matter. If you really want to fine tune it, then that's a whole other story. But for most people, short uh, time restricted eating, short intermittent fasts, even up to five days, it doesn't matter that much what you break it with. But uh, but anything beyond that, it matters. 
But what is recommended is a small ketogenic meals because when you've been fasting for, let's say, five days, uh, you've lost a lot of water weight. Your uh, belly's flat. You look good in the mirror. <laughs> so you don't want to be throwing sugar on there because sugar is going to retain water. You're going to get bloated. You're going to get bloated from the water. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, myths and recommendation going on online that you should break the fast with watermelon or some fruit. That's probably not a good idea because like fruit and fruit sugars are hard to digest. It, uh, so are cruciferous vegetables. So that might cause some bloating. And uh, since you put off like so much weight after a long fast and you want to keep the water weight off for any reason, then avoiding sugar is probably a good idea. So what you do want to break the food with a small, nice ketogenic diet, diet like sorry, a small ketogenic meal, uh, some protein, some fats. Uh, and if you feel like it, then for the first day or two after five day fast, just prefer easy to digest meals, easy to digest foods as well. So maybe uh, like uh, you can have some bone broth or you can have uh, like an avocado or some maybe like salmon. You might want to not go for a ribeye straight after five no. days. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Andre. So Andre, where can people uh, find out more about you and where do, where do people find your book? Uh, my book, you can find on masteringfasting.com. Uh, it's exactly as it sounds like. You can just Google mastering fasting as well. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm expanding right now my activities and everything to Instagram as well. So at Andri Pezzo on Instagram. Uh, I should also start doing Twitter. I haven't gotten the hang of it yet, but I'm going to try. So that's at, at Andri Pizza on Twitter as well. And yeah, uh, starting a blog soon, translating my Estonian articles because I'm from Estonia originally and all the writing I've done is in Estonia right now, except the book. This is my first writing in, that I've done in English. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to move everything to English soon. So there's going to be an English newsletter that I'm going to adapt now, the blog and everything else. So everything's going towards that. Great. I'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well. Perfect. So a Thank question you. that I always ask the guest at the end is, Like, what would be your final advice? Like, one, two, three things to live a happy, healthy, and meaningful life. Okay. One, two, three things. Happy, meaningful, healthy life. One thing is, which I've lately discovered that is so often overlooked, is just try to get in contact with your body and actually listen to your body. Because we're so disconnected from everything that we're doing. Uh, we often eat meals uh, with like just forgetting minutes later we're on our phone eating our meals, doing everything mindlessly because uh, we're not connected to the meal. We're not connected to our body. We're not connected to everything. And five minutes after we finished eating, we even forgot like what we ate or did we even eat. And uh, we have so many digestive issues and like uh, lifestyle issues. So Getting into contact with your body, feeling it all, focusing on the meal, focusing on things at hand, like really being here present and listening to. If something feels off, it feels off for a reason. I think, I personally think our bodies and our systems are smarter than we give them, uh, give them credit for. And just to learn how to feel them and learn how to trust that. That's perfect. Andre? 
thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing and Thanks so getting much more information out. Yes, it's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.